1: visit Stripe.com slash tap iPhone.
2: Turn the snare up in my headphones. Yeah, yeah, turn the snare up in my headphones Oh, that's good Look, see what I did there? I did that mimicking of what rappers do Even though they're not actually asking for the snare to be turned up in their headphones They're trying to make it sound intimate and interesting for the listener Hey, look, it's the podcast And it's it's me, Daniel Sack, how you doing? I'm uh, recording this intro from my bed because it's uh, the future. Oh no, it's the past for you. I recorded this like two weeks ago. Um, from when you are now. Because I'm preparing at the moment to launch the podcast. So what is the podcast, Dan? Stop, stop mumbling. Stop rambling on. He says, rambling on. Right. It's a podcast where I get to talk to creators about everything they do. And then we digress into nonsense usually. But... That's how conversations generally go when I'm involved. But yeah, welcome. I hope you hit the subscribe button by now because that's important. Today's guest would also tell you to hit the subscribe button. So, you know, you should do it for both of us, really. Um, But yes, our first guest is Mike Bithell. He's a game developer. May Thomas was alone. Danny Wallace is Matt. He does the talkie. Uh, he made volume, which uh, Andy Circus is in that. He does the talkie. Jim Sterling's in that. He does the talkie. There's talking in his games. It's a thing. You can have video games, they can have pictures and sound. You're allowed both. You know, it's, it's not either or. Like music, you can just have music, sometimes pictures. It's a bad analogy. Anyway, he's a game developer of the indie variety. Making art, in my opinion, for what my opinion counts for these days. We met up a few weeks ago up in the north. I'm not sure if he wants me to say what town he's in. So, near Manchester, around Manchester, somewhere. Manchester's big, and the around Manchester's even bigger. So, that should be hazy enough for you. And just had a good chat. He's in the middle of a huge project. That uh, I got to see a little sneak peek of And I'm very excited about We talk about it in the, in the podcast Although we're very shady about it But it doesn't ruin anything I don't really need to know What this mega exciting project is If you're here for Mike Great, he's going to be talking in a couple of minutes You'll be fine you, I, I won't ramble on too long If you're here because you've come from My Twitch channel Yeah, I've got a Twitch channel Twitch.tv forward slash Dan if you come to me from Twitter, you know, at Dan Lesac, or wherever, see how I subtly plug to my uh, social network in there? Um, but, you might as well just hit the subscribe button now, because it is very good. It's a very good conversation, you're going to love it, I promise. None of these promises hold any weight or legal, you've got no legal recourse if you think it's shit, basically. But, if you enjoy it, like loads Loads and loads Come over to Patreon.com Forward slash Dan And we can talk about it You know Privately You can book me For a private dance Basically Is what I'm saying On there I'll be I'll be posting some Additional materials Obviously Because that's what you do um, And I might Give clues to The next week's guest A little bit in advance Or as and when I record them And if we mention in any way, even in passing, your next project, it's gonna be called Redacted. Yeah. So if I say, but okay, so that's interesting. For Redacted. Yeah, but that's yeah. what the next thing
3: is. So anyway, and now I'm gonna release it, it's gonna be called Redacted. It's gonna be called well, Redacted. It's a video game, so we will be called Redacted Redemption, The Legend of Redaction. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm really enjoying doing these because For me, like, the reason I started it was to understand not other people's creative processes in, like, the minutia of that, Mm -hmm. but just, it was more like um, realising that Anyone who creates anything seems to have the same problems I do. <laughs>
3: you know? So it's therapy. It's, it's uh, therapy, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This
2: is all this is. I might not even put them out.
3: <laughs> this isn't even recording, right? It's no. not. No, no. I might <laughs> to
2: hand them to my counsellor nice. and say, hey, yeah, so I'm not coming in for the next four weeks, nice, but you nice. know, this is what I'm facing. I'm
3: pleased I can be here for you and help you with this. <laughs> it's
2: good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't do intros or anything because I can do that afterwards because it's awkward having someone talk tell to you, you about
3: your life about yeah. you yeah.
2: but it must be telling you've done a lot of podcasts sure have you sat there and had someone tell you about your life in their intro and missed the glaringly obvious or highlighted something that you didn't even realize you
3: um no to be honest the the, the kind of the God, is a pretentious thing to say, but like the story about me that's out there is pretty kind of standardised at this point. Ooh. It's always funny to me that kind of, and I'm sure this is true of you as well. In terms of, um, there was a lot of work before the thing. Cole Thomas was alone, which is the mm-hmm. thing that everyone always kind of kind of latches onto as the start of the story, and and obviously there's a lot more before that. You're only ever kind of your your career starts at the moment people kind of first play the big thing, uh, that blows up. So there's that. Um, but no, the thing for me is always just when. I hear repeated back to me something that is wrong. Like, something that, that like, is a misunderstanding yeah. of an interview I did three or four years oh, ago okay. where there's, like, a fact in the ether about me that's that's not true. Or just something that's not... Um, that's just, yeah, just weird. Um, so that happens occasionally.
2: Do you ever put non true facts out the for for fun absolutely,
3: yeah, no, I one hundred percent I i definitely I definitely have in the past just because it's fun um <laughs> nothing, nothing massive, but just like occasionally um uh, like if like when I've got an upcoming project that I can't talk about I'll just kind of put out a little bit of subtle misinformation every now <laughs> and again lead people who might be paying attention in a slightly wrong direction. Um, no, the one that happens most and it's really it's it's interesting to me um, is that I change my stories over time and I'm sure we all do this where mm-hmm. like an anecdote you'll like you'll like you know fix up the opening make yourself more important to yeah. the middle of the story do do like give it a funnier punchline. Um, Definitely I've, I've, I've heard stuff or, or you know, something's come up and I've read something from a while ago and I'm like, oh, that's not how I remember that happening. I realise it's because I've told that story so many times that I've adjusted it over time. I don't think that makes me a compulsive liar. I think everyone probably does that. We just don't have like a record of ourselves doing it. Uh, but that's interesting to me.
2: But I suppose we almost do. If you, as soon as you're in any form of limelight, you
3: start building that evidence of your own life.
1: <laughs> That's right. You know,
3: videos of yourself at like pre-diet, mid-diet. <laughs> Oops, Christmas just happened. Like for, for me, for me, it was my hair. Oh like, yeah. I,
2: If I see old videos and mm. there's this bit where you can see I have yet to accept baldness.
3: Oh, you're kind of like trying to mislead. Trying <laughs> Try to mislead to, like...
2: or like just keep it cropped and mm-hmm. all that. And it's really like, that I, I remember when I accepted I rem- Yeah. I know when that was, but it's like, couldn't my career have started just after that? <laughs> so much stuff. Although the first time I had like uh, words in print about me, that maybe not the first time, but the first sort of noticeable thing was uh, this review of a show we did in Camden and and the guy was like fat and balding down the sack. I was like, wow. Hey, mate, mate that's, that's that went deep and that's yeah. like second sentence. isn't that? So, gee. So I think it was fat and balding down the sack and her suit shit. <laughs> I was like, mate, there's wow. other things you could have picked. Yeah, so that's,
3: that's their tr- so that's not so much so he's not the writer's not trying to insult you. They're they're trying to create an interesting image of like yeah they're like pushing you towards like Laurel and Hardy basically they're like trying to like make a physical that's horrible that's a shame but he's the suavest Hardy no which was which Laurel which Uh, round were they Laurel's Laurel was the fat guy right Stan Laurel. Oh, no. Well, now it's which one was Steve Coogan is the question, because that movie just came out, didn't it? I've not seen it yet, but it's like every, yeah, that's, that's like, that's in the pile of like, next time I'm stuck on a plane, I'm going to watch that one. I can't remember. And yeah, let's record both versions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then you can just check when you go home. But yeah, no, it's, that's like, yeah, but that's a weird... I'll just badly dub it. And that, but that personal, those personal kind of descriptions and stuff, like, it, that's weird to, re, to when you realise that you're a character rather than a person in the yeah. eyes of, like, another person, it's very weird. Super weird.
2: There's, there's a certain element of that with, with people who came up at the same time as you, mm. um, with, with, I think it was this point at which indie games started getting their, um, their not their moment, but getting some air. Yeah. in the press rather than it just being this mm-hmm. uh, throwaway little one-liner they mm-hmm. started getting people writing about indie games and then that narrative of the the uh, rags to riches boys done good sort of stuff came which was up. the
3: only story you could get a journalist to write about so you always yeah. had to push whatever story you had into that mould in order to yeah, actually get
2: you were slaving away above <laughs> a chip shop in the, <laughs> in the back room writing code you that's know that's right and, um, but like that that that's obviously a story that's been around in, in music for a long time, mm. and then that transmogrified into the MySpace band thing, mm. you know, like, although people won't remember it now, but the Arctic Monkeys were only written about in terms of being this MySpace band, mm. you know, for, for a good period of time. Yeah. And, um, but with indie gaming, it, it was really odd that that was the only story being told for mm. such a period and of time. And unusually
3: untrue as well like in almost every example of like a big the, the big names the kind of the people who your you, average gamer would be able to name because when you dig deeper a lot of people had worked for someone so i do a I do a talk yeah i do a talk for students which i had to <laughs> so the, i did a talk for students and it's and i've been using it basically for a couple of years it's like my go-to if someone says to me oh can you do a talk at our uni to do this oh like, yeah sure i've got one in the bag so i'll come and do it and I've been doing it for a few years, and I'd completely forgotten that one of my slides was a massive picture of Kevin Spacey. Because um, <laughs> it was a, a reference to, like, uh, doing... Because uh, um, he was in one of the Call of Duty games, so it's a reference to one of the Call of Duty yeah. games. Yeah, a dance And walk. Yeah, someone, and, um, and, yeah, I just... At the moment, that came up on a massive screen behind me, and I turn around, and it's just a room of 15-year-olds. And I'm just... I'm so sorry. I'm going to skip that. That's that's been deleted. But no, I do a talk about this because um, I think in, you know, indie game, the movie um, solidified mm. a lot of people's idea of what indie was. And that was before my time. I'm kind of, I'm generation two. I'm Rodimus Prime, not Optimus Prime. Mm-hmm. I came in kind of in that second wave. Um, but like that Transformers reference, that's quite a deep Transformers. That's, well, as you well. know, it's, it's a mispent. You're that's saying not. you're saying like game developers love '80s rock. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like we were all we were all there. Um, I think um, so. There's that, but I, but I, I think I think that actually solidified that. And if you look at the people in that documentary, none of them are that story. Mm. Um, you know, Phil Fish was at Ubisoft for years. Mm-hmm. Um, Blow did um, he, he he ported Unreal Engine to consoles? Like he was doing really kind of high tech, yeah. hard hard problem solving, which is what he does now as well, like hard problem solving, um, and even like you know Ed McMillan had done stuff like it was all these all these people who they'd been around. They weren't. It wasn't just an instant hit out of nowhere. Yeah. Which I think a lot of students and later indies kind of just latched onto that story of the kind of, yeah, like, rags to riches yeah. from out of nowhere. Here comes this perfect person who's made this thing. It's like, no, they were, they were making games for other people for about 10 years, each of them. Yeah, they were working.
2: And uh, Phil Fish is an interesting one as well. Mm. Like uh, Not everyone listening to this is going to be games oriented. so Google Phil Fish. But <laughs> <laughs> with safe search on, probably. With safe search on, yeah. Um, actually, there's Google... Innuendo Studios. Okay, that's this is Phil Fish. It's a fifteen-minute documentary thing. Innuendo
3: Studios is, makes some good stuff. Really good. Yeah.
2: Really, really solid stuff. And, yeah. um, but his the the Phil Fish thing was uh, for me uh, interesting in the, it's like the innocence of the forum guy. The guy who can say what he likes on a forum mm. suddenly getting given a bigger platform through mm-hmm. something he's done yet not not being a uh, media trainings the wrong word like it's like it's official but like with musicians you sort of know that as you get bigger you might not mm. need to be saying everything you think <laughs> out loud because there's still, two
3: schools of thought is next there? there's also the school of thought as I think Phil would say, I don't know. I don't know Phil Fish very well, but like he's a. I think he's a very ethically guided person. I think he would. He would be arguing. Well, no, I say what I think. I should be allowed to say what I think forever, yeah. and that's yeah. what makes me me. So I think But I'm. I'm definitely in the careful politicians' answer mode of. I'm very yeah. media trained. Like I so will not say the wrong thing.
2: I'm glad Phil Fish said everything he said and, mm. and uh, 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 approached his detractors in the way he did. <laughs> But at the same time, I understand why he was put on this rock star pedestal mm. and then everyone was angry that he wasn't behaving like uh, an idol to... Like a statesman, yeah. you know,
3: that kind of, yeah. yeah. No, I, I hear you. I definitely you hear know. you. Yeah.
2: But at least, you know, Fez exists. Yes, yeah, and I mean, he's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Weird. It's just really odd trying to think about... I remember streaming Fez mm. and being stuck, completely stuck, and then having some bigger streamer raid me at the time and then me just have to pretend I knew what I was doing for the next <laughs> 30 minutes cause I didn't want to look like You didn't like want to fool. look like an idiot. Oh, bless. But then I just spotted a QR code in the game and I'm like, "What this? Why is there a QR code there? Let's scan it. And mm. I'm like, so meta oh, yeah. narrative and all that. Um, so we can't talk about redacted. No. Project redacted.
3: Project redacted. But yeah (laughs) biffle studios uh yeah or biffle games biffle games biffle studios felt too ambitious (laughs) if i'm honest i was like i can commit to games with the
2: redacted that ambition would have
3: we'll see we'll see i think i I, I have faith okay
2: um but a games is originally you but then it's not, it's a no, It was always, people. No, it
3: was always a few people, and it was, uh, and I was the guy in the room who was saying, can we come up with any name other than Bithyl Games? I, I, and no one will ever believe me on this, but it, basically yeah. it was, so no, Bithyl Games happened when it was, it was just two of us at that point. Well, no, three of us. So it was me, basically the people who'd made um, Thomas Was Alone. So it was me, uh, a guy called Daz Watford, who's my concept artist on everything. Did you work with him at Blitz? yeah we worked together back at blitz we got we were we were put on the same team we both were kind of at the start of our careers um and we both kind of we just kind of yeah gravitated towards each other um so he's wise, he did all the color palettes for thomas was alone. obviously there wasn't a lot of concept art for thomas was alone in particular <laughs> but yeah and then david halston who was composer on um, thomas and volume and we were kind of talking about how to brand volume i guess and and whether we should have a studio name uh David, you know, like a lot of composing games, kind of bounces around lots of other games. So he yeah. wasn't kind of gonna be core to that. So it was more me and Daz and and I was just trying to come up with a bunch of different names um that I thought would be kind of, you know, generic games company names basically. Uh and it was Daz who was like, Mike, like the internet likes you and knows your name. I'll make more money if your name's on it than <laughs> if we come up with some new games company. Which is a, a very legitimate a, Which was a very legitimate argument, and it was a hard one to argue with, so we kind of did that. And I, I must admit, like it's a constant source of embarrassment to me. It's something that I think definitely every game we have the conversation where it's, where it's me saying, please, can we change the name? <laughs> and I think the only opportunity we could realistically have done it would have been during the circular games because so Subsurface and Quarantine, which of course mm-hmm. you worked on. Um, because those were ones where we weren't using the name so much to kind of sell them. But definitely, like, you know, when we're working with partners, when we're talking when we're working with platform holders, publishers, all those kind of projects, like say Google, when we did Earthshape, part of what they're buying is that name exactly. now. And that's it's weird that it's my name, but it's we're kind of locked in a little bit. So at some point, I'm going to win the argument and I'm going to change it. I don't know what to, but like, it's just as there's more and more people. Mike. Mike. Mike, guess. Mike guess. Well, that was when I was a kid, like tooling around in Visual Basic, I always called everything Michaelsoft. And it's funny to me that like, basically, it's the same nonsense, just carrying on. Um, but yeah, no, I am. Um, yeah, I, I don't like it. And one day, one day, I'm going to win the argument and change it. Um, but it's not going to be unredacted. It's going to, it'll have to be after that. Yeah.
2: But, yeah. But maybe not liking it uh, makes you work harder.
3: Well, it's nice. I mean, there is that classic thing of yeah, it's my name on the box, so, so it has, has, to. has to be yeah. all right, yeah. Because because that, and, and that's actually a, there, there is an element of like that is one of the benefits is it does insulate the team from negativity. You know, mm. if there's if someone doesn't like one of our games, they don't go to the team about that. They come right to me, and that's actually kind of nice. But it, obviously, the downside is my team doesn't get enough credit you know, in terms of like the public consciousness. Yeah. There's a lot of times I'll see someone saying, oh, that looks, that looks like a Mike Biffle game. It's like, no, it doesn't. It looks like a Daz Watford game. Yeah. <laughs> like it looks like a Nick Tringali game. It looks like our art team and the people who we work with on many projects. And it's, so there's, there's a little bit of kind of, I'm a useful, it's what we're talking about. It's that, that character thing. I'm a useful character to put out there. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, yeah, it's a constant kind of weirdness. Because as well, I'm kind of, like most people who do what I do, like, I'm also prone to a bit of arrogance. I'm prone to a bit of showing off, right? Yeah. I don't think anyone gets into entertainment because they they don't want to kind of show off or impress but people. at least you're not,
2: like, Elon musking it up yeah, but on the internet.
3: I spend a lot of time worrying about how far that road actually is. <laughs> like, dude, I'm, I'm not convinced, like, I'm not, I, you know, I think, I don't think people, I don't think anyone plans. It. I think we all, I think you can fall into it. And I'm always trying to stay conscious of that, but... Yeah, I'm, I've got I'm, enough people around me. I think it would stop me if I was going full Elon Musk.
2: I've se- I've seen that a lot in the music industry, where you you'll you'll do a show with a, a band as they're coming up, mm. like they might not even be signed yet, and they're one thing, and then you see them a year later and they've had success, and it's like, what what happened? How did you? That's a lot of kool aid you've been. Thinking. I
3: well, I I I'm. If anything, I'm actually annoyingly self conscious about like to the extent that like like when on a on a trip to LA to do some work last week and actively was apologising for having an opinion on which bar we should go to. It's like, I don't want to be a diva here, but I would like to go to a tiki bar. <laughs> and like this guy, kind of, like, I'm very, it's a, it is a genuine kind of concern for me that I don't fall into Because I've seen people fall into that in games as well. It yeah. happens all the time.
2: We, we did some shows years and years ago with um, Rezarm It. Mm-hmm. So he's Star Wars yeah yeah,
3: great actor and it's so strange because I remember at the time does does he do music as well yeah
2: yeah he's an amazing poet huh really good I mean he comes across like he's very well spoken
3: and like when I've seen him do
2: like talks and stuff he's got that under the name Riz MC I need to do some googling there's a lot out there as well he's done a solid amount of work but so, we, yeah, we were doing that, and we invited him to come on and do some shows with us. Mm-hmm. And I remember him saying, like, yeah, I've, I've done a little bit of acting. <laughs> you know, a little bit of... And, it, like, the opposite of arrogance about it. And, you know, he's, he's auditioning for big roles even mm-hmm. then. And it's like, yeah, this guy who's done a little bit of acting is now in Star Wars. Mm. That confused me. <laughs> I, I pay no attention to the world's... Really, I'm not someone who looks at trailers. Right. You know Something will... I will hear about something via osmosis. Things bubble through,
3: but you're not actively looking for it. Like,
2: I heard about Star Wars Rogue One by walking past the cinema and going, Oh. And then, literally, (laughs) I had two hours.
3: I was like... I'll go in. I'll go watch that. And So, you didn't know, so you watched the movie not knowing he was in it? I, I watched the movie not knowing he So, he just pops up on screen a Star Wars movie. You're like,
1: that's Riz. That's Riz. That's Riz.
3: I hope this, this story doesn't end that now he's an awful person, right? He's, he's no, still no, cool. cool. He's still cool. I've not
2: talked to him years. But someone in, in his position as well, as a person of colour, as a British actor who.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There's no roles for him in the UK because most UK TV seems to lean quite hard into period drama, yep. and it's got to be a frustrating thing. He he could be someone who could get angry about it. Yet,
3: it well, I've seen to... him talk. There's a I don't know, I don't know what the 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 event is, but there's an event that's like every year which always has like a talk on this subject. Idris Elba did it one year. He yes. did it. I I don't know what this is i mean this is embarrassing i don't know what the event is but i do remember seeing both him and idris elba's yeah. speeches on that and like yeah it's it's yeah if you look at some of the yeah, idris elba's like the prototypical example right someone who really found fame and success yeah. on american television because there were roles for him on well, that's that
2: the thing like when you watch the wire for the first sure. time and you're like what that
3: guy's british wait and that guy's british <laughs> and him yeah it's so strange well, they love them in the US because the British actors um, are well behaved. Mm. Like, you, you get a lot of, like, they'll show up and actually kind of do the work rather than just, like, demanding a double does the lighting tests. Like, they'll actually kind of yeah. show up and do it hard work as British actors.
2: I, I always found it confusing watching The Wire when um, Richard Belzer, um, he's the, he, in Law and Order Special Victims Unit.
3: Who did you see Play on The Wire?
2: Uh, he's only in a couple of oh, okay. episodes, but he plays a character called John Munch. Okay. Detective John Munch, who is the same character he plays in Law and Order, hmm. which is all odd already. Hmm. And then it made me Google. And then when I was Googling, it's like, oh, he plays the same character in a series called Homicide Life on the Street, which
3: is... Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. are you about to blow it? Is this like a cinematic universe of American okay. cop shows? We're, like...
2: going, we're going a little further now. Okay, all right. He also appears in one episode of The X-Files as John Munch.
3: Huh. And then just, so it's like an Easter egg. It's like something someone yeah. you cast in your thing. That's but like
2: in, in Law and Order, he's a main character in Homicide. But just, just to add another layer to it, mm. Sesame Street <laughs> has a letters thing called Special Letters Unit,
0: yeah.
2: where there's a puppet a puppet of John Munch. So that means that Sesame Street and The Wire are in the same universe. That's good. With the X-Files, <laughs> so are the Sesame Street puppets, Muppets, the aliens that Mulder has been looking for?
3: That's it. If only he would go down Sesame Street, he, yeah. went, he would know all the, the answers. the
2: John Munch continuum.
3: I like it. It's, I bet there's a website devoted to this. There must be. There must I be feel that. like I, I should get onto Reddit now <laughs> yeah. and create. Some amazing animated GIFs. <laughs> Fire emoji. Yeah.
2: Um, so, actually, before we started recording... There was there was something I sort of half heard, and um, it made a, a question in my head. But mm. then I don't know if what I half heard was true, so I'm going to ask a question. How is it that you write stories for a living, yet you were someone who
3: couldn't talk oh, as a kid? That one, yes. Yeah, Especially so I was question. yeah I I did I yeah this is this That's is one of those tr-
2: questions in one yeah maybe. this is one of
3: those true ones although it's also one of those ones that like because I was obviously very young I don't know exactly the detail but yeah basically I couldn't speak as a kid uh, or I think it was also that I wouldn't speak I think I was maybe a lazy kid as well like, I, think like, <laughs> nice. I realized pointing worked um, but yeah my little sister taught me my first word um, okay. like, what was that first word um, I think it was gran... Granny, I think. That's, oh, good. that's nice, isn't that's it? Good. Um, but yeah, no, uh, she's, she, was, yeah, she was two years younger than me and taught me my first words. So oh, I wow. was really... Yeah, I did not... Um, I did not speak... Yeah, I didn't speak properly, I think, till I was about three or... It was definitely... Because I was a quiet kid in school, but I think I was talking by then. So yeah, so I've got these weird memories that are very X-Files mm. of being taught to speak by a speech therapist and like having cards held up and like, dog... Dog, mm. you know, they're kind of like in a very structured way, rather than how most people learn language, which is just being around their parents. Yeah. And, so, because
2: this leads to something else that you've you've said previously that mm. you, your accent being slightly more received. Oh know, yeah,
3: this is not my natural. Well, well, not it, my family's not that accent. That it,
2: it, helps you uh, (laughs) stay above water in rooms you shouldn't be in
3: in a sense yeah you listen to um, this was was this Tim's podcast I think I talked about this on yeah like it's yeah it's um, yeah definitely like I I sound a lot posher than I am like my family is from um, it's called Hayward Seath which sounds a lot posher than it is but like no 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 Hayward Seath yeah so like like kind of, not Cockney, but kind of southern Russia, uh, rougher accent.
2: That edge of London accent. Yeah. That's uh, not quite as harsh as Cockney,
1: but... But
3: not far... Not Cockney's not, harsh. I, I know what you mean, yeah, but not... not. They don't sound like this. This is, this is... this. Is, so when I was, like, when I was a kid, I sounded like little Lord Falteroy. Like, I mm. had very received, very posh accent, and that didn't work at all in my world growing up. So what, what I now have is this kind of five, six-year-old mic kind of affecting that accent slightly. <laughs> just a few vowel sounds just to try and kind of get by and not get my ass kicked every day at school. Um, so I was, yes, yeah, so I was... I was. Uh, that dishwasher's going to keep going. <laughs> it's all right. It's a good noise. It's a good, it's good noise. Out it'll out start, it'll stop after a few. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was always... I've always sounded posher than I am. Mm. And that's definitely, yeah, it's definitely opened up opportunities and something I'm very conscious of and something I can turn on when I need to, and <laughs> and, it, and it, there are definitely, uh, you know, when uh, places you get invited to, stuff you get to do, and and people you get to meet, where being a bit posher has definitely opened some doors for me. And I mean, Americans definitely having an English accent, full stop, makes you sound very clever to them. But I definitely, I definitely, uh, I definitely uh, furth it up when I'm over there. You know, slightly <laughs> Period drama, could the be voice, furthing, a bit of furthing. Um but yeah, no, I, I, it's it's a weird one. It's definitely opened doors to me. It's definitely I think I've probably had a lot of educational advantages because um, teachers thought I was cleverer because I had that accent as opposed to the kids around me, and probably put more work in. And, so genuinely, like I think probably I've always I've had that kind of I've I've had a you know I'm from you know I'm, I'm a lower middle class background, but I've definitely had like this this fake silver spoon mm. in my mouth my whole life and I'm very conscious of that from like a you know I'm a lefty so from a privileged perspective I'm aware the doors that's open to me um, so yeah so it's just it's something I it's something I'm I'm conscious of and um, yeah so mm. it's, it's just it's just an interesting weird quirk because I can because I can turn it off and on I get to and my and and people are you know I don't know just I my self image is much lower down the class spectrum than how people perceive me and that yeah. leads to some fun interesting kind of interactions sometimes but now obviously I'm in a position where you know my games do well enough that I, I am comfortable and that's a, I you know it's a, it's a weird it's a weird thing but yeah
2: but with the accent thing do you I So I had a really strong Zimbabwean accent as a kid. Okay. But I had like a man's Zimbabwean accent. Like, oh, like, like okay. a fully grown up. Yeah, so yeah. I had to work, like moving to Essex as a, as a, I think we came back when I was about five, going to school and people looking at me funny. So I mm-hmm. decided to mimic other people's accents oh, yeah. to try to fit. Mm-hmm. But the problem I find now is that if I spend more than three hours around somebody else's accent, I start copying. Oh, yeah, I
3: definitely do that. It's really awkward because... Because it's something you trained yourself to do as a kid, right? Yeah, yeah. You,
2: you can't stop yourself doing it, but uh, there is a, a point where you actually feel like you're taking the mickey, you know? Yeah,
3: really useful as a writer, though. Like, I definitely, like, I have to write for some of my redacted stuff as well. I have to write for a lot of different accents and dialects. And I find it really easy to mimic and, mm. you know, do impressions of, like, if, if I'm working with an actor who I know has a certain accent, I'm able to, and, you know, not when anyone's around, because it probably comes across incredibly offensively, yeah. do their voice and, and, and able to write for them in that way, which is really useful. When you talk about that mimicry, mm. um, when I first played Thomas, mm.
2: I thought Danny Wallace wrote it.
3: Because I was I, mimicking Danny cause, Wallace, cause, yeah. Yeah,
2: you've, I've obviously heard you say it. Past yeah. that I wrote. I
3: wrote that with his audiobooks playing, playing, just so I could get the sentence structure. But it's so
2: strange because the mimicry feels
3: perfect. It, it, mm-hmm. is, it does feel like. Well, that. as he's always, as he said in interviews, he's the best Danny Wallace impersonator <laughs> in the world. He's like, it's a limited job. There's not many opportunities, but he is the best is Danny he, Wallace you could get. Did you try? i know, Yeah, get other voice actors.
2: Before, yeah. yeah, which is
3: which is yeah. So that's why he's taking the mic out. Because yeah, I wrote it in his like inspired by him inspired there's a bit of Douglas Adams in there as well but like kind of the stuff I thought was kind of the right tone for it and yeah I tried to find voice actors who could mm. mimic him uh and people tried to and didn't do very well and then I got drunk one night and just tweeted at him and this was when I was you know on Twitter I had like 500 followers I just tweeted at him can you do a voice for my game and his whole thing is saying yes to everything so it's like sure that's oh, like his whole life was that equals. In the Yes
2: Man, time. no, it
3: was way after that. But like, I think that's you definitely with Danny. I think that's something. He's de- he's 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 definitely a guy on the podcast. He's a guy in <laughs> he's a guy in search of life experiences. Like yeah. that's that's I think that's one of his one of his qualities. He's 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 not a man to say no to many things. There was um, a
2: gaggle of of, of uh, writers. Slash comics at the time, like him and Dave Gorman and...
3: They lived together, didn't they? They did, mm. yeah.
2: And Tony Hawk? Is it mm-hmm. Hawks? Hawks who, is the skateboarder, right? Hawks is the skateboarder. <laughs> it's Hawk then, yeah, yeah. Hawk is the one with the fridge. Right. So...
3: I, was it? I don't remember the fridge.
2: So I, one of them, one of that gaggle, I, I hitchhiked the entire circumference of Ireland with while carrying a fridge. Oh, no, I do remember this, yeah. And I think <laughs> it was Tony as well who did the... He played every member of the Moldovan football team at tennis because he he'd, he'd believed they were so bad at football that he could beat them, at tennis. <laughs> which is a bizarre, bizarre thing. Wait, especially when you look at him, it's like you're not good at sports. But that's the same when you look at me. So. No, it's
1: well,
3: yeah, it's the same for me as <laughs> well. It's um, as I increasingly am finding out. But yeah, it's um, I guess that was a good structure vehicle for their that, that mm. kind of. Because I I don't think because especially like someone like Danny he's not I don't think he class himself as a comedian he's I mean he's he's a great he's comedic he's comedic he's a yeah. great um a great he does obviously a great radio show he's a great writer as well like but that's a good vehicle to have kind of it was like high concept mm. comedy wasn't it in a way like it was yeah. all about that like I'll say yes to everything for a for yeah. a month and all this like these are good ideas yeah. it's the thing
2: like if you go back and watch something like um, Dave Gorman's Google Whack Adventure mm. you. Because it is it, from reality, it's someone imposing a, a rule on themselves—an
3: arbitrary limitation. that
2: but they But can... having to live that out within reality, the the humour comes with pathos. It comes yeah. with that pain. Like I'm not going to spoil, even though it's years on from Google Wack Adventure. He says in it, "Do not spoil the end of this for me." You yeah, know? don't tell, you tell people to watch this, but I, but yeah, there's moments in that. Where you you are brought to tears, which mm. is still mind blowing to me when it's <laughs> a man going around the world trying to get people to yeah. do things on Google.
3: It's a good lens for exploration of the human condition, I suppose. And yeah. um, how
2: so? Thomas, obviously, for those who don't know, was a huge success. You know. But especially for a game about squares and friendship.
3: <laughs> it was, and it's not self deprecation for anyone who's listening to this that doesn't know. It literally is a game it's where you make squares it. jump yeah. around, yeah.
2: Very characterful squares, though.
3: So. Oh, no doubt, but they are still squares,
2: <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but how intimidating was it to then have to follow it? Oh. Horrific. I think there was. Are we were talking months before you could even start
3: putting pen to paper. Starting wasn't the problem; finishing was the problem. Mm. Like, and, 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 I definitely see this from a lot of other devs who are making that well, sec, difficult second album, right? Like when you know that people have high expectations, yeah, it's really hard. And, and volume was that game, and it was um, very ambitious in terms of it was. It was basically it was the thing for me. Of there's only. I'm probably only gonna get one chance to make the game of my dreams. It was mm. the thought that was going through my head. I was like, this, you know, I'd been in games for a while. I knew how rare something like Thomas Was Alone happening was. So I kind of went, well, I'm gonna use this cachet I've got right now and, and this cache I've got right now to um, to make the Metal Gear Solid clone I always wanted to make as a kid. Um, and and I, t- I think that approach made it a bit healthier, but I was still, of course, I was trying to prove, like, I'm not just a one-hit wonder. Um, and as it was, volume you know didn't blow up in the same way as Thomas, but it reviewed well and it made a profit, and those things mattered to kind of keep me going. Yeah, and, yeah. and and definitely, I feel like that game also it was a really good um, calling card with publishers because uh, it looks about five times as expensive that, as it actually was, and mm. they really like that. <laughs> so it became, weird that, yeah, really, yeah, really weird. So definitely, it got me a lot of work. That game probably got me more work than Thomas was alone. Um, but it, it, yeah, it wasn't. I think I knew going in it wasn't going to be as big as Thomas, and that helped. But still, it was very scary to kind of actually release it.
2: It's, it's definitely a really interesting thing from my point of view to see someone make something. Um, if, if Thomas was alone, is your like Adele Twenty One? Nice,
3: that nice. Couple? I, I didn't know. Was.
2: Then you didn't make Adele Twenty Five. Directly, you didn't just make, oh, I'm just going to do the same. This you, is the thing,
3: which you, is a valid approach and lots of people do it, So fair play.
2: Mm. But nice. it's, yeah, it makes perfect sense. You've had a success with this mm-hmm. very particular thing and then to do a, a better version or yeah. the progression from that makes sense. And, but at the same time, I admire mm-hmm. the fact that you went, no, I really want to make a stealth game. Mm-hmm. And then went and did it, even though... No.
3: Yeah, well, I, I and, and what's funny is I've managed to find a group of people to work with who have exactly the same attitude, which is, um, you know, we only get to make so many games. Let's just keep being surprising. And now it's actually one of the criteria. I'm so sorry about my dishwasher. I can do only press a button and kind of you, stop you it if you want. I'll be if right you, back. You, if it's making you uncomfortable, I just it's it's a, it's taking a role in a interview. Um, at this point,
2: at this point, we realise that Mike is feeling oppressed by his dishwasher.
3: This is yeah. It's all for the dishwasher. It's all for the dishwasher. <laughs> uh Let's pop this back on. Um, there we go. That's gonna be great sound. Um, what's this all now? Oh, um, yeah. Being surprised. So we specifically now, with any game we consider making, we specifically have the criteria of is this gonna surprise the audience? Like, are are people who Would play you... our games gonna be like, what? Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is which has been which has been true. The only game I think that broke that rule was. Doing the follow-up to a subsurface circular, but that was for lots of practical reasons. It just made sense to make another one, kind of quickly while we had yeah. some time. Uh, would it be giving? Would it be giving anything away to
2: ask how big the team is at this point for for Redacted or for Redacted? I mean? So
3: for for Redacted, it's it's the biggest team since Volume, um, but it, so it's it's about twice what Volume was. Okay. So it's in terms of like how big was Volume? So Volume was about. Four or five core people, and then just a lot of other people doing other stuff. Very specific roles. Yeah, this one is closer to six to eight people, and then lots of other people doing lots of specific roles. So I don't know how long the credits list will actually end up being, but yeah, it's a substantial project um, for us.
2: How is it going from that point of being... So I've never had to work with anyone else. In, in a sense even I think I you was,
3: did some work with, with Scroobius Pepp didn't you I think was, yeah. was some work I remember I've lost a few, few records but it was it. that thing
2: of uh, <laughs> um, the work that he did is work I can't do right so it, he never took on any of my roles and oh, I, I see never so you were both doing people.
3: your work and then combining it yeah, right. yeah
2: so like my work was always my work mm. and, um, and that never changed I was like from the first album to the third album that was still just me how is it to move from that role of Thomas where there's three of you mm. and the core of, of the work in that sense is is you yeah. to then hand away more and more responsibility? Is that a liberating thing to know that, I okay, I can get Moo to make, do this code 10 times better than I yeah, can? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and in a third the time. <laughs> um, is, is that a liberating thing or does that build in more... Artistic paranoia. Yeah,
3: it's scary. Like, I think... I mean, the good thing about... So, Moo, yeah. Moo coded the uh, subsurface circular, specifically. I only bring him up
2: because I just wanted to mention Nights and Bikes.
3: Because he's great, isn't he? It's, yeah. Knights it's and just... Bikes is great. And Moo's a genius. He just had a kid. Um, so, the... Um, he leveled up. He leveled up. He's not leveled that up. Bad. So, That's good. He posted a, a picture... I mean, he respawned is probably the better. <laughs>
2: respawned, yeah. But he posted a picture of... Um, is it his family basically yeah. all asleep in different places Aww. in the house? And uh, I ended up saying, Is there a set bonus for having all, <laughs> all three? Because I think he's got a cat, maybe. He's got uh, two cats. There was a pet in there as yeah. well. And I was like, when did I become such a nerd? <laughs> Why is that my response? That's like, right,
3: exactly. This is, this is an image of pure family wholesomeness and you're like, video games. How can we tie this back? I like that. Um, so the answer to your question is, is, it was horrible until I got over it. So like, so the, 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 the one where that transition was volume, because volume I started very much trying to make it in the same way as I made Thomas Was Alone, which Thomas Was Alone was, as you say, me at the core, and then when there was something I really couldn't do, grabbed someone to help me mm. with it. So Danny to do the voice, composers to do music, uh, artists do some color work for us. Um, and that was it. And then with volume, I went in with the same attitude of like, right, I'm gonna make this stealth game. So I spent the first like six months just getting like an enemy who could spot you and you could move around, like really core cool stuff. And it took forever because I'm a terrible programmer. Um, and then trying to get like other people to contribute um, art and stuff. And it was about a year in where I was just thought, well, if I keep doing it like this, it's going to take me five, ten years. Yeah. And Thomas was alone, did well, but it didn't do five, ten years well. So I need to, I probably need to speed this up a bit. Um, so that was when I went and started like getting programmers who could program better than me, um, getting designers to help because I was trying to make all the levels. And I was always a bad level designer. You know, I had to do it when I was working at other companies because it's kind of the entry level job. It's how you get mm. in. Uh, But I was never good at it, Um, so getting level designers in and like just handing slowly handing off little bits and pieces, and uh, and then the big one, which was getting uh, handing off all the business stuff to my now partner Alexander, who does all of the the kind of heavy lifting business wise. Um, Getting all of that kind of off my plate was the moment where I realized. Oh if I'm not doing all this stuff I can be a director now. I've got actual I can actually mm. have uh, I can actually steer and help and curate all this work coming in rather than just being constantly terrified as I try and make stuff work. Yeah. Um and that got that was easier um and then uh and then and then that that got transitioned when I so I finished volume um, and then vol- after volume was a weird period because we were making a we were making a PlayStation VR expansion of that which we weren't making in house. We had well, we made we made levels and content for it, but then um, an external company was actually making the VR portion of it to my design. So it was kind of very away mm. from us, like really weirdly not involved in that one as much, um, which felt strange. Um, and then when we did stuff with Google, I went back to just kind of core coding it myself and doing things because so I was kind of reacting negatively to like, no, I want to make something that's just me again. So the Google is Earthshape. Yeah, Earthshape, which is probably the game that... Um, the least amount of people are going to play. Yeah, I don't think anyone played that. Well, a few people did. It was, so it was made for Daydream, which was Google's VR headset. Yeah. Uh, which was not a massively popular platform. I think exactly I'm okay. Right. I don't think Google smashed my door down if I say that. Like we were I think we were one of the better selling games on it, but like yeah, it wasn't I don't think there's a lot of people who will have played that. And you got
2: Superkins.
3: Superkins, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I <can't,
2: laughs> no, I like it. Um
3: Yeah, so so doing that was like, yeah, was um was very much me and then realizing again, like, no, I'm not good at this and getting uh, Nick, who had been a 3D environment art guy on volume, but was like also doing some code. And I like working with him. So I brought back Nick and said, hey, can you help me with this? Mm. And he was doing a really good job. And then Nick's now at a point where Nick is basically the Core coder on Redacted and is kind of, yeah, kind of gonna, I think, kind of step up and even maybe do some of his own projects later on with us and stuff like that. He's brilliant, um, but yeah, so we've now transitioning into this. You're
2: now, um, Dave Grohl in Foo Fighters with the Blonde Lads, Nick's the Blonde (laughs) Lad drumming, can't remember his name. But, yeah, like, yeah I think, just yeah, realising yeah. that...
3: You've got to be the first person who's ever compared me to a rock star. I like that. That's that's good. I mean, I can come nice, back. I everything like Everything I've of... Have oh, another hobnob. You've heard oh, oh, That was great. I will. Have I got liquid? Yeah, you need liquid. You need liquid the with the hob and hobnob. You, you don't want to go hobnob and dry. But, yeah, no, so so now it's at a point where, honestly, like, I'm I'm not producing um, core cool stuff. I, I dip in. The thing I'm currently learning is to stop doing the jobs that are really easy. Because one of my things is I now have this amazingly talented team. And I don't want them to be wasting their time on grunt work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been doing a lot of grunt work for the team. And it's like, no, actually, Mike, you probably should be doing this either. Like, We can get some, you know, some juniors, some new people who are just starting out to kind of come in and do that and build them up. Mm. So we're just, I'm just learning to do that kind of multi-generational thing now. And we've got a few people working on this new thing where it's their first game. And that's really exciting. That's like, mm. and it's a really good. Uh, hopefully, will be a really good portfolio piece for them, and kind of be a great start to their career. Uh, and that's something I'm becoming proud of, and kind of. So I'm, I'm growing up basically. I think mm. I think I'm basically just aging and and starting to be a bit a bit less selfish and a bit more wanting to encourage. But there's still things I hold on to. So you know, I started as a graphic designer, so I'm still very much I want to do the graphic design. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 learning to be a curator, to be a someone who works with a team and brings out the best in the team, rather than li- being a uh, being a bottleneck myself that kind yeah. of limits everyone.
2: It, it's definitely because it is such a complex thing. Mm. It's it's that thing of um, I don't know who said it, but like the the director doesn't hold the camera. Yeah, you know, like that idea of. Um, He knows what looks good, but it's it's his job to find the person who's going to make it. I think it's a
3: Spielberg quote. It's probably Spielberg (coughs) quoting someone else, but um, the whole direction is ninety percent casting. Mm. Is so true. Is it's just basically just surrounding yourself with the best people Mm. and then work like helping them to do their jobs really well. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, which often just means ordering pizza and having it delivered to them. You know, but that's fine. (laughs) You know. Um, so yeah, no, it's, but it's good. It's because we're all remote as well, so there's a lot of interesting wrinkles to it because of that as well. So I, I hadn't even it hadn't even crossed my mind. That yeah, this know, is this is do one do. of the many Biffle Games offices you're sat in right now. This is, uh, this is international as well at this point. Yeah, so yeah, Nixon in, in Chicago doing his thing.
2: Chicago, it's a good city. Mm. It's, good, it's not as good as Detroit though. Like I, I know, I've never I've
3: never been to either, so I have no uh, no strong opinion. Detroit, I have
2: a Detroit is. Uh, uh, Phoenix from the flames thing right it's had it's just had trouble for years mm-hmm. and years and years and and when it looks like it's about to turn it round, it gets more trouble mm. and then somehow there's these just little blood buds of communities growing yeah. in in what is you know uh Batman versus Superman. Mm. The final fight is outside a, a sort of very old kind mm. of. That's in Detroit. It's a, oh, okay. an old station, train station, I think. Mm. And uh, but that area, that that building, is still completely empty, like surrounded in barbed wire and all this. And then there's empty warehouses here and there. And then here is a street of young people who have finally got property, finally got somewhere to start a shop. Mm. Yet they've start decided to. Uh, you know what I've always wanted to do is a skate shop slash coffee shop <laughs> slash bar billiards
1: nice. sort of thing. And it's just like,
2: because <laughs> I, I, of property being cheaper, um, we can try something, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, yeah, it always feels like an exciting city. So it's like them.
3: a moment of renewal for them. Essentially, yeah. Cause of, yeah. That's really if cool. If it
2: has, carries on, it's hard to say. You know, America yeah. is so big. Uh, it actually has very few people in it for how big it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Detroit needs. A I've couple. heard that that
3: there are just like abandoned yeah. parts of town that just no one lives in. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah,
2: and you've got things like in Detroit. There's the thing, uh, the Heidelberg Project,
3: Heidelberg,
2: which is an artist who's who's basically rescued like toys and things from burnt out buildings hmm. and, and built shrines to some of these buildings. Right. So, but it's whole blocks of wow. derelict buildings that he's huh. built project in which uh is bizarre it is really bizarre because i don't want to get distracted by detroit but it's one of those <laughs> things that like that city had in the space of a few years have people millions of people just leave yeah and it the only way it can recover from that is millions of people to come back yeah uh, Yet at, we're at a time where we're saying no you can't come into our country our country's full and it's like America, you're not full yet. <laughs> You've got room, yeah. And and letting people in might be the way that America. Well, that's Germany's approach, right?
3: That's how Germany's approach. German, mm. Germany's. Um, is it Canada as well? They're trying to increase, literally, actively trying to increase their populations. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a big. That's, I feel like that's a that's a separate three-hour that's, podcast. That's the whole It, podcast, yeah. <laughs> it, it is. Um,
2: it sort of leads to something, a, a point like how you make you tell stories hmm. in a, a, a medium where I get told constantly there shouldn't be any politics. Like, well, why is there <laughs> politics in this this okay, thing? I think
3: that's come up on Twitter a few times. Yeah,
2: and um, it's really strange because there's there's two two think thoughts that always come up. It's like. Well, there are non political games mm-hmm. and you are free
3: to play them. I've made a couple.
2: Exactly. I mean if you
3: argue Thomas was alone is is Thomas Was Alone in apolitical? Well, yeah, it's well it's about, about compassion, which it's is a compassion. Yeah, that's true, that's, could, but it's and not, cooperation. Like you could stretch. it's not preaching yeah, a political messages. Yeah, there's it's, no there's no down with the Tories kind of pop yeah, ups, exactly. is there? No, that's fair.
2: But like you you don't have to play the political games. Sure. And who I get this moment over old man Dan coming in and <laughs> who do you think you are? Yeah. Like telling someone who's creating a piece of art, no matter how big the company, no matter how big the team, mm-hmm. if if somebody wants to make something with an over or even subtle political message in there, that's their choice as mm-hmm. the artist. You know, you don't, when, say you released Sonic, you didn't, everyone go, well you should have been green. You should have, you're wrong. Yeah. You know, you just, you either like the art or you don't. Sure. And it, the games industry I find fascinating because if you write a bad album, people say, yeah. didn't enjoy it, mm. and move on. The games industry is like, you, you release a, a bad game or you release a, a game that has a flaw and the audience goes, fix it. You <laughs> fix this. It. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's really strange. i would mm. always had that idea of, um, no art is ever finished. Sure. You just stop working on it there's there's a better way of saying that yeah. um but like how how does it affect you to know that no matter what you do there's someone who's going to be unhappy and the fact that you could go back and fix it if you wanted to if you had time mm-hmm.
3: and we have like that's definitely not not for anything kind of as highfaluting and artistic as what you're describing but like volume we launched the game with one really bad design choice in it. Um, so yeah, I played it day one, and I experienced. So you experienced the bad design choice, yeah. 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 So it was it was because we'd play, so we play I it. So in mean, games, just for your audience who don't, if they don't play games, there's something called play testing, which is a lot like how you'd focus test a movie. You put it in front of people and say, mm. "Is this good?" And we we play tested this game exclusively with a casual audience because I my big thing with that game was I want to make a stealth game that's like accessible and you don't mm. have to be hardcore kind of player to get it. And because of that, we left in a massive design hole where anyone who was like skilled at games instantly went, "Well, I can just cheat this," yeah. <laughs> and did, and got. And especially as the game kind of emphasised high scores and stuff, they all took advantage of that cheat. Um, that was a problem where we genuinely, the week before the game came out, I was getting emails from people who were reviewing it saying, is this a bug, Mike? Because I'm about to lose <laughs> you a point on the review for this. Uh, and I was just, I had to be honest with them and say, no, that's, that was the design. But we're working on a fix. We're and we, and we were working on a fix and we managed to get it out within a week. Um, but, you know, mm. arguably Volume would have had a much better launch if we hadn't you know, had the foresight. and. And that now means, ironically, every game we make, yeah, I'm there looking for that problem like for months before. If, if, if we just hit it with the next project. We know what the exploit is, and we're now working on that to on prevent that, that, to fix it. But to answer your question more broadly, I think... Um, yeah, people aren't gonna like your stuff. Like it's just it's the nature of the thing. And and yeah, it is very politically charged. I guess it's politically charged in all areas, but I think I feel like video games were almost like the canary in the coal mine for where things are now. Like we mm. had something called Gamergate, which I think a lot of people listening to this who don't know games might have heard of, which there's a lot of echoes of that now in mainstream kind of political yeah. discourse.
2: Gamergate definitely like again, in UNDO Studios. Just just dig around that guy's videos. I don't actually know his name. No, I, I don't know bad, his name either. But, yeah, like just Google's, use the Google's <laughs> on that, and just watch some of his videos. And uh, but GamerGate is definitely a a very big reflection of mm-hmm. the internet age of of the way we talk to each other and the way some people are going to manipulate that yeah. to. And like it or not, gamers
3: gamers are very tech savvy. We're very we're usually ahead of the curve on a lot of these social uh, issues, good and bad. Mm. You know, so so I think I think it was it was it was it makes sense that that flared up in games. But yeah, I've had it. I had um in Subsurface Circular. There's a throwaway line the characters talking about um, how I think it's a remark that um, Mumbai is underwater because of global warming. I I can't. I think it's Mumbai. I can't remember. Mm. Um, but um, that was like, why are you inserting political, correct political themes into our into the video? To which my response was, this is a hard sci-fi. All the scientific evidence points that this is going to yeah, happen, yeah, yeah. so we put that into our science fiction. That's... Do you want a fantasy story? Because we could put an orc in there. If you yeah, like. yeah, yeah,
1: we can.
2: Check uh, an which orc was in. perhaps
3: a bit more sarcastic though than we so, go with. Someone was uh, someone
2: tweeted a couple of days ago. I don't know who it was, that like how they found it fascinating that. There are people on the internet who believe that fifty-two percent counts as the will of the people. Yeah. <laughs> yet ninety-eight percent of scientists saying climate change is happening isn't proof. Yeah, we, we need to we need <laughs> yeah. to lock that down. Yeah, I'm we like, need to. That. We our ability to deceive ourselves is.
3: What's the there's mind-proof. a there's a phrase for it, not there the kind of the the the, the, the we look idiocy. for idiocy, idiocy, but we look for. <laughs> well i guess it is idiocy, but we all look for information that backs up the opinion we already have we yeah. don't we yeah. that's a there's a failing in the in the human mind that we all as a progressive person i have to work <laughs> hard um to look at things which match my politics which which aren't true or which mm. are badly reported um there was a there's a there's a statistic i think the labor party recently said that uh, Victorian diseases were on the rise because of austerity. Given my politics, my reactor was like, "Yeah, I bet they are. I bet they are. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Austerity's terrible. I mean, that makes sense." And and it was only just yeah, listening to the radio and listening to like someone actually do the analysis, which was like, "Well, a lot of these diseases are worldwide coming back, and this one actually predate, the rise of this predates yeah. austerity by two years, and blah blah blah." And you and you go, "Okay, that was." I jumped into believing that because it backed up a view I already had. And so I think we're all prone and guilty to that. But yes, well, like you say, it's uh, it uh, particularly seems to come up a lot. Uh, Let me on just the check
2: this one. It is working. It's, it's such, such, paranoia is such paranoia today. That's fine. That's
3: cool. It's I it's think, it's such gold that we're I, talking about that you want to make sure it's... I know. I want really to make sure. It.
2: I think I've had some little uh, ear infections and stuff, and my ears are just so dead at the moment. Like I'm yeah. constantly paranoid that it's not not doing the things mm. it's meant to I've probably put a setting where it's not meant to be coming out of here or something so you're right? getting mine right it's definitely working yeah. this, is, definitely. Going <laughs> this try, is going in this is going in I'm definitely trying not to edit these things too much I like a gonzo podcasting it
3: works yeah. especially because
2: gamers will go oh you lied you edited <laughs> editing
3: is lying I'll be saying that on Twitter if I disagree with anything I said <laughs> I never I, I never, never said, said that. that yeah Uh um, <laughs> I suppose. It's it's I don't funny. want to
2: take up loads of time, but there is like bits and Go bobs for it. No, that I it. find. Just jump around. You got kind
3: of, you got a list of notes about me. Just there. words. It's weird. Just
2: words. I think weirdly, like uh, you were talking about Disney in a podcast, and uh, I love Disney. Yeah. The bizarre thing about it is, you were talking about how Disney transitions you from area to area, mm. how it it kind of. You're moving from one. I'm very boring world. about
3: this. When I go, I, 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 <laughs> I went to Disneyland three times last year, twice with the same guy, and bored the hell out of him. By every single about this time. Every single time.
2: But it, it fascinates me because it's something that happens in gaming. Mm-hmm. You know, like obviously in an um, older game with less technical power, you you go from a biome, and the next square you're in a completely different sure. biome. But this that that gradation of. Um, uh, yeah that's just subtle shift from forest to desert or, yeah. or whatever and it 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 fascinates me that we've got to a point of society that that's now like a way to manipulate a, not manipulate in a negative way sure but to move a crowd of people from place to place That mm-hmm. we've we've got to that point of like analytics i suppose of, of understanding how humans work mm. But the bizarre thing about it is like how much of this sort of happens in gaming and then bounces into the real world and then the real world bounces back into gaming and I don't know, I just, I suppose what I'm asking is mm. as a as a medium that essentially has all the other creative mediums within it, mm.
3: does,
2: does gaming have this? I think the big question is: Can gaming be art? And I suppose I, I know that's a long way from Disney. Sure, to no, I can there. see it though.
3: Well, the short answer to that is yes, it already is. Yeah, good. Um, that's because that's why it's I, a really it, quick answer. I've I'm already like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're but you're right. One of the things that's most exciting to games, and I think, one of the and, and so I think often games. Uh, people we often feel we have to kind of justify ourselves because on to some extent everyone who works in games every adult who plays games is still that kid in the playground like standing up for their hobby and thinking like this is real this is real and the the reality is that no one's going to accept games that well no one's going to accept that games are an art form and out and on a par with film and television and music until everyone who disagrees dies off that's the reality of how film yeah, happens. That's how, it's that's how be it accepted. happened with film. Film was an oddity until everyone who thought it was an oddity died. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's, that's a horrible way of putting it, but that's that's where we're at. We're at a point where um, Obama was the first president who owned a games console as a kid, so mm-hmm. took games very seriously. I, Donald Trump probably owned them as well, I suppose, but maybe <laughs> mm-hmm. probably didn't play them. There's no joy in that man's life. Um, but the um, that's the bit I'll deny on Twitter. Um, the <laughs> the uh, the that, but, my silence was the
2: sound of me biting my tongue. It's like <laughs> I can just shout about him for hours. Yeah, that's
3: again. That's a five hour podcast. We're yeah, just, yeah, yeah, just, just screaming down the microphones. Um, but anyway, the, the the um. So we're hitting that point where we're we're starting to hit these in a, in you know in twenty years time there'll be very few grandparents who didn't play games growing up. Mm. You know, it's we're gonna we're gonna age through, and you know. I'm probably of the first generation of game designers where when I die, assuming I have a, a long and healthy life, hopefully, um, that I will, be, I, will, I will not be seen as lesser than other creatives in other yeah. mediums. Because, because by the time I die, there'll be enough people who are under me, uh, younger than me who will think that games are as important as films or as mm-hmm. important as television. That's probably changed with our generation. I think that's also tied to already starting to see games directors being treated as directors and auteurs and that kind mm. of thing. That's serious. Anyway, so I think, I think that's fine. I think we're already art. It's just the world has to catch up with that. Um, but you're right. One of the most interesting parts is because it does incorporate so many other art forms, um, it, it means that uh, you can kind of approach it from any of those ways. I know game designers who think of games as music. That's, mm-hmm. that's their entire approach to it. Um, they don't necessarily even make games that are like music, or that are music heavy, but just the way, the way they talk about rhythm, the way they talk about yeah. the tempo of a level.
2: It's, uh, I, so I work with a photographer, mm. like Mitchie. I'm a photographer's assistant, as my mm-hmm. day job. And uh, whenever we talk about creativity, it, it, we have to remind each other that we don't speak the same language, because mm. uh, music, like gaming, you cannot ingest in one moment. Like yeah. a photograph, you, obviously you look at it for a period of time, sure but you can you can take in that ph- photograph in a very short space yeah. of time whereas you know if you wanted to uh Thinking of a walking simulator like Stanley Parable, mm-hmm. no matter how quickly you go through that, you, the, the art still is going to take you an hour, two hours yeah. to really ingest,
3: and and even then you're going to miss stuff, and you're going to get value from replaying it. Yeah, the idea of replaying and reviewing and all of this stuff, yeah. And I think, but I think that's that's what's exciting to, it and that means that there's lots of approaches. For me, um, I was a drama kid, um, you know, did lots of acting and AV and all of that stuff as a kid, very theater nerd. Um, so for me, I come to it with a lot of those those preconceptions. And yeah, Walt Disney, for all of his many personal character flaws, was designing interactive spaces yeah. way before any of us could do that with a computer. And and looking at something like, uh, like the Disney theme parks is fascinating to me and something I spend a lot of time obsessing over because there's so much stuff that he was doing, or, and his team, of course, were doing, uh, which is directly applicable. Things like, if you're walking around Disneyland... Um you're never more than x number of meters away from a trash can because mm-hmm. Walt Disney walked around, followed people, and worked out the tight ty- the distance that's from someone getting something to eating the contents of whatever the thing they'd gotten was to them wanting and to throw truck, it away yeah. and he and he worked out the optimal spacing of bins around Disneyland theme parks so that there was always a bin at the exact moment you need one yeah. and it's weird if you go to Disneyland and you you know order some terribly unhealthy fast food and you eat and you're walking along and you eat it and you crumple up the paper nine times out of ten you're going to turn to your left and there's going to be a bin right there because they've gotten it down to a fine arm things like he didn't want chewing gum stuck to any surface so you can't buy chewing gum in Disneyland Mm. you also can't buy chewing gum in any of the hotels or small businesses around Disneyland to prevent basically there's a, a very soft uh Illegality to chewing gum, essentially, on-premises. That you just can't... If you want chewing gum and yeah. you're in Disneyland, you can't. It's not going to happen for you. Um, That's madness. It's stuff like that, that like kind of social engineering, which, in yes, in real-world context, is actually kind of creepy, uh, but it's so how we think about games, how we think about game spaces. It's, it's not related,
2: but it kind of... It just made me think about... Um, in India, I can't remember what the distance is, but I think you... A person can't be more than two miles away from a voting booth.
3: Huh. So, so uh, that everyone can vote on foot, they don't need to. Uh, so, the yeah. logic, yeah. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. But because
2: there are some remote areas, there are certain voting booths that, like, they have to trek to a place, mm. and like three or four people will be able to use. And they 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 check their two miles. You you're trek checking into I, air quotes jungle or whatever. And it's, like, bizarre to me, like, mm. because that seems right to me. Like, every vote, if we're going to say every vote counts... You have which, to give the facility to do that. Yeah. You have to give the facility. But we as a culture, like humanity, that those things that sound crazy, you know, you're always going to be a few inches from a bin in like yeah. That sounds crazy, but that's part of uh, what we are as... As beings, well, we're, you know. we're the
3: species that changes our environment. That's if yeah. it's a sort of defining characteristic for f- terrible causes as well. Yeah, um, but yeah, we are you know, dogs don't build houses, <laughs> you know, we, we create environments that serve our purposes. I reckon that's they what, could, I reckon they could it as well. If really smart no, if we'd let them, we're they're biding their time. That's what it is. We're oppressing With the cats. Dogs. The cats, we are oppressing dogs. The cats, the cats would lead the process, but the dogs would do the heavy it's lifting. It's funny,
2: mate. Like, um, my partner's got this. Uh, Dave, her cat's called. <laughs> That's a great name for and, um, a cat. He's, he's just about 16, 17 pounds now. So he's a right. big cat. It's a big cat. Come, yeah. But his breed is Maine Coon, which means he can get up to about three stone. Right. Which is crazy for a cat. That's a lion, basically. Basically, and he's lion-coloured as <laughs> well. Right. He's got a snaggle-tooth as well. And he's the cutest cat in the world. Mm-hmm. And he, He's a, bu- a buffoon and mm-hmm. stuff. But if she sends me too many... Images of Dave in a day because I'm guaranteed to get one a day I have to then remind her if you die alone at home He's going to eat you because that cat will The yeah. cats will eat any human before they're cold and it's like it's a, it's a subtle reminder that for all our wonders that cat is going to eat you um, that's,
3: that's absolutely right
2: and like literally the planet of the apes is a Nonsense <laughs> idea It's planet of the cats that's definitely
3: right.
1: that
2: was Yeah, that's
3: but... we good. I'm Not sure Circus would uh, would would give a what, I, you know what I bet he, no, could. he, would, he would. I bet he, he, would. he would. I bet he would be able to play that. There it is down.
2: no uh, Andy Circus animal crossover that wouldn't work. I don't think.
3: He said he's the man who who uh, predicted Donald Trump in a recording booth while we were doing Volume. Really, that's my claim to fame with Circus.
2: Oh, like I suppose there's a certain. Uh, that tone in volume is there? So
3: well, volume came out in 2015 and it's about, uh, it's about uh, Britain leaving the, the EU and simultaneously a businessman mounting a successful nationalist campaign to take over. It's weirdly pressing, yeah. but no, the, 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 the reference to Donald Trump was that literally we were being, so circus plays the bad guy in it, um, and, uh, and then we were sat talking and he was like, okay, so it's a businessman, um, and he's got, you know, a circus, so he talks a bit, you know, a mm. bit like that. It's like, okay, he's a businessman, uh, and he's kind of an arsehole, but, and he's a bit, he's got a chip on his shoulder, and he's taken it away. It's like, it's Alan Sugar, but evil, right? I was like, yeah, it's like The Apprentice, but <laughs> <What is> it? <laughs> it's like, wow, the only thing he got wrong was the nationality of which yes. host <laughs> was, uh, was going to happen. Oh to my him. God, can you imagine a PM, Alan Sugar? There's no way Alan Sugar's not considering it. It's There's no way with the ego that guy it's seems to have. To There's no way it's it's crossed his mind. He's run the numbers.
2: Yeah, yeah. He's
3: run the, He has he has engaged an overpriced consultant to tell him.
2: I, you know, like I, not to. I don't mind talking about Brexit and stuff on on the podcast. Sure, but the argument I had for everyone I knew voting Leave was I never tried to talk one of them out of it. Mm-hmm. I just asked them to look at. Who was running the country? Like, do you trust these people to deliver this very <laughs> complex thing that you're asking for? I'm yeah. not going to judge you. I'm not going to. Yeah, it's not shout. even about the
3: actual whether we should leave. It's about do core competence. Right? Yeah, do you yeah. Think it's
2: possible? And like, yeah. I, I voted remain, but even I know that the EU is a very bureaucratic place, and it mm. would be nice to have a little less bureaucratic bureaucracy in the world. So there was this tiny little bit of, of me course, that was yeah. like well,
3: maybe, but then you turn around and go, yeah, but nah. I think I think if there's unfortunately one thing the whole Brexit process has proven is that bureaucracy does serve a purpose. <laughs> like it does. Having it does. some professional politicians in charge yeah. is actually quite, quite handy.
2: It's really weird to think that someone who spends all their time learning about one thing
3: mm.
2: can be knowledgeable about that one thing. Mm. <laughs> it's a really strange idea yeah. that so, like, oh, you've spent 10 years talking about uh, learning about the climate, and what? <laughs> no, you must be wrong. No,
3: you must be wrong. I, yeah. I like oil, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. oil's lovely, isn't it? It seems to be less of it, though, that's the problem. It's apparently. Kind of, I, don't, I don't know, I've not looked into I think it. But but gonna,
2: <laughs> I think the plan is that we're going to try to make Jurassic Park real, then kill them off and make more fossil fuels. Oh, that's fuels. how it
3: works, yeah, yeah, I just like, yeah, plan. it's like... 10 to 20 million years little uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's great it'll be
2: fine we'll all be back it'll
3: all be lovely it's perfect um, it's the feathers they're going to cause trouble that's what they didn't anticipate <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they get everywhere dinosaur feathers um,
2: there was the one question that yeah. didn't get asked has just slipped away from me education mm. but directly you uh, <laughs> In an, you tweeted about this just before you moved to this house, Right. the, the disc, uh diskette of Manor. Oh,
3: yeah, it's here somewhere. I can't, <coughs> I don't know where we've put it. But it's yes, gone now. It's gone now. We <laughs> carried you with there. you yeah. for years and then yeah, yeah, yeah. the move north has it's, it's definitely, we put it up, because we, uh, we're going to like display it, I think, in that display case at some point, because it's kind of special to me. But,
2: yeah. So, you... Convinced a teacher at school right <laughs> yeah. to allow you to turn in. Because
3: of the accent. Because of the accent. these things. Yeah. Yes. He must know. <laughs> he must know Oh, little Lord Fauntleroy right there. Yes, he turns in <laughs> video games instead of essays. Yeah, so I yeah, convinced her, and she was like, if, if you can do a video game that hits the bullet points I need to prove you've learned, then you know, knock yourself out, kid, basically. Yeah. That's amazing. It was. Like, That's how I learned how to program computer games.
2: So, because uh, we've, we've kind of just bumbled through what that sure. is. So, f- for you listening, um, Mike convinced a teacher called Mrs. Woods That's uh, right. that he could turn in a... a basically, a text adventure, point and click It was, yeah, like a walk around,
3: game. you know, you walked into a manor and you met the farm guy and then you walked up to the lord of the house. You could ask him questions and,
2: yeah. So, but instead of an essay... Yeah.
3: Um, and now
2: you also do education yourself mm. maybe not so much directly mm. teaching but I'll nip in do and talks do, I do guest
3: lectures and stuff to help out yeah
2: like do you feel like the education system is, is more open to gaming as an idea at this point or are we still a ways off from that
3: it's tricky I think I think there's still I think there's still a cultural misunderstanding about games that they're a distraction I think Minecraft weirdly helped a lot because Minecraft was one that I think a lot of teachers and parents could look at and go, oh, that's Lego. And I remember that Lego's educational yeah, because of yeah. the marketing campaign where they told me Lego was educational, yeah. even though there's no evidence that Lego is. But it is cool. I've got all my Lego up there, or a lot of it. It's I like, own too much Lego. It's too that's expensive. just my red and black Lego I've got. It is, yeah. I was looking at that. I've them. got, like, there's a lot of, we're working out where to put all Lego. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I think Minecraft helps. I think people could look at that and understand, okay, this might be actually teaching kids stuff. So yeah, I think it's it's again it's the it's the film thing it's the TV thing it's just uh, you know when all the parents grew up playing Fortnite there's Mm. not going to be a discussion about whether games are relevant anymore and I think it's good it's I I think as well a lot of parents I talk to are starting to understand it's a really good way to get your kid interested in maths and English yeah yeah. like that's the big one is like I've had the number of times I've been um, asked by a distant family member to explain that if this kid wants to make call of duty one day they need to work really hard in math really I've been I've been pulled in many a Christmas to give that speech you know and it's yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's fine <laughs> um, so yeah no I think it's I think it's I think it's accepted I think as well obviously computers are more accessible to kids now well they're more accessible in that everyone's got smartphones and mm. the only issue is it's harder to tinker than it used to be like it used to be like I had because my dad used to, <laughs> this is one of yeah, one of those stories where you realise as an adult what was going on. At the weekend, me and my dad would go to borrow computers that no one was using <laughs> from his office. We're totally stealing computers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so my, my dad stole me computers, and I so I was tinkering around with like like slightly crappy Windows three eleven computers, and um, and uh, and that you learn a lot using frankly shit computing. Mm. Um, whereas now because kids are just using kind of smartphones and have a very smooth curated experience they're not really creation tools as such there are what's interesting is stuff like Minecraft made a lot of kids start experimenting and playing and I know um, Epic are trying to do some stuff with Fortnite in a similar direction so I think there's these opportunities presenting themselves but that's one that's a concern is just making sure kids can kids know they can make something for this magical curated experience because I'm a decade
2: older than you Mm. so I as a kid would get um, computer and video game magazine Mm. and sit in front of my ZX oh like inputting it and yeah, you yeah. you would they would print the code in the magazine. I didn't, as a
3: kid, understand that there were different programming languages, so I would try and type those into QBASIC on Windows, which <laughs> was never which never worked. Would, but would I, never I would work. I would write the entire thing because I didn't understand how languages were different as a but kid.
2: But it was it was a strange thing because I, no one told me this, but like I started pe- piecing together that okay, that line that is color. Yeah. So oh, I can change the color. Mm. Oh, I can change. The wording of mm-hmm. this so uh, there was this weird pirate strategy game i, I best sort, of, it was like worms mm. kind of on an isometric not even just on a flat 2d yeah. thing and it was like vikings versus pirates or something right. like that. i can't even remember what it was called and it yeah it took me half a day to type it all in and then you know i realized i could change it so i mm. spent the other half of the day <laughs> changing all the language to swear words nice and all the colors and stuff and it was that that moment that was like, oh wow! And I, I genuinely think that if I'd had the, we didn't get a PC in our house until I was eighteen. Mm. So and I left, which was bad timing, really, because mm. I would have had a PC, all the porn. Uh, I mean, all the opportunities to learn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's that thing of like, I've always been slightly annoyed at the fact that I feel like there was this little nugget of something I wanted to do that I missed out on, mm. yet at the same time, if I'd done that, I probably wouldn't have been making music, because mm-hmm. that was what I fell into, because yeah. I bought cheap bits of kit from second-hand shops, right. like Cash Converters is, which should have been the name of our first album, because <laughs> literally like everything I owned at that point was bought second-hand or bought with borrowed money, my first mm. Mac was um, bought that way.
3: But I think that's, I think that's cool. What's, what's interesting about games is I wonder, I feel like we might be about to head into kind of the second wave, which is, and this happens with most art forms, um, we had this first wave where you had to be very technically literate to do the work, and that's still the case. Like, if you want to make mm. a computer game right now, you do still need to learn a programming language, probably. You probably need to use quite te- quite complex software. Uh, you can. Have, there are certain kinds of things, that like something like a twine game, where you don't need that technical mm-hmm. expertise, which is great. But it's very specific. And what's really interesting is it does feel like we're starting to head towards a point where someone might be about to make, essentially Microsoft Word for games, like something that's just oh, wow. a really accessible. Um, Dreams uh, is amazing. I, I I've been lucky enough to be able to kind of experiment with them and, and play some of that stuff and and learn from it. And what they're doing is phenomenal. Mm. I I can't do, for example, I obviously work with computer games, so I'm familiar with like 3D software, but I can't make anything in 3D. Mm. I within like two hours of playing with Dreams, with a, and you play it with like uh, iToy controllers, yeah. and you're in front of a camera, and it's in 3D space, it's tracking you. I was making very comfortably like little like uh, plasticine characters and stuff mm. in 3D, just so not even thinking about it, just all of this stuff. And it's and and then when you want to make them. Uh, the eyes on them blink it's like it's a really simple logical kind of wiring yeah. something up to make that work and there's, it was that moment playing with that stuff where I think we're going to get to a point where people making games don't need to know how to program and mm. that's interesting because that's going to open it up even more in terms of who can make games Yeah, there's still this massive requirement um, that you know most people who, who make games who are um, directing games or leading games were nerds in school who spent yeah. too much time learning how to program. You know, we, we, we were never the cool kids in school. But like, I don't want the cool kids in school to be able to make stuff as well because they might make interesting, different stuff that's different yeah. to the stuff I do. So
2: th- that's where we, the music industry is like mm. with electronic music, particularly like because you know a decade ago we had um, music t- more than a decade ago, but you had music two thousand on PlayStation One, two. PlayStation 1 Mm. um, and then as we've gone on like just the accessibility of that Mm. and now you've got if you open an iPad you can go download called Gadget which is a fully functioning music studio with soft synth like various synthesizers Mm -hmm. and drum machines and but with the because there's no it's you can just touch with your fingers you can Mm. draw how long the note is or you can play the little virtual piano you can create I could, I guarantee that you could create a fully released album in Just from that software, yeah. and like, well, Quarantine Circular is partially written in oh, that. Was it really? Oh, really? Because cool. some of it was written on the plane and stuff, and mm. um, you know, a, a couple of the sounds were originally written there and then sure. moved over. You know, it was a tool in that, but like we're at that point, which means that level of like. I don't know, if you're like 10 years old right now mm. and you can open an iPad and instantly be making music, that means yep. that in 20 years' time, you're 10 years ahead of where I was because mm-hmm. I didn't even get the first thing to make noise until I was 15, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you
3: they're know. starting earlier and I'm, I'm amazed. There's a, a game I was playing um, on PlayStation called Spectrum Retreat that I met the, the kid who made that it's a PlayStation 4 title. He's launched it professionally. It's a polished little game. It's interesting. He's 20. Mm. And he started it when he was 16. Yeah. It's like he was making that on nights after school, a game that's now commercially released, a yeah. console game. It's that's what's exciting about this. And as you say, it's just they're they're gonna surpass us. And that's that's really neat. And and it's open to more people. And and yeah, it's it's exciting because I look at it like the Microsoft Word example of there is now pretty much anyone with a computer can open up, even not Microsoft Word, even TextEdit, right? Mm. You can type into a word processor really easily. doesn't mean everyone's going to be Stephen King. No. But we're going to find more Stephen Kings because they've got that access to that tool. And that's what I, want, that's what I would love for games. I'd love it to, to get to a point where it's just that. Um, what's happening in games, which is really interesting, is because this is so fast, the stores aren't keeping up. And now mm. you've got all of these debates about visibility and how do I make, how do I get my game seen? Yeah. Because there are so many games being made. Which, again,
2: like, has parallels with the music industry. We're at, right. we Right. We got to this point where um, we were, at around the time of MySpace was that moment like, oh, <laughs> oh we don't need to be paying so much in pay- <laughs> PR. And then Facebook came along and convinced pretty much every musical organisation that you've gotta have a facebook page and you don't need anything else Mm. and now no one can get hurt you know personal experience is like i have to tweet about something i've done 15 times a day to even have a chance of getting like one percent of the people who follow me to hear it you know it's definitely that but on top of that with the games industry you've got stores like steam where they're just, they're just filling and filling and filling. Oh, yeah, It could be like a few years ago, someone uh, launched a website. I can't even remember what it's called now. But um, basically a website that only brings in Spotify tracks that have never been played. Hmm. And there were four million of them when he launched it. Wow! Yeah, and it's that thing—the like, Google
3: whack of uh, yeah, of all music. the cheese,
0: all million
3: tracks on Spotify, and no, no one had ever played them, and
2: that no one had play, hit play, which um, freaks me out because the first thing I do when I release something is go play it. On yeah, Spotify. exactly. Who's who's putting this up? So and like, just why like, do you not
3: even like your own music? But but still, it's terrifying. <laughs> but you that? know what I mean, like yeah. yeah. And I mean, I guess we're both we both have a modicum of luck because we had. Uh, kind of established some reputation among some kind of fan base I formally believe I only
2: have luck that's where I am uh, yeah, right.
3: <laughs> but it does help it means that like so something like Subsurface Circular and Quarantine like there was a lot of noise uh, when we launched because wow this is such an innovative way of releasing game no it's how most indie games are launched yeah. is with no fanfare the only reason it's interesting here is because you'd expect us to do a fanfare because you've played some of our previous games um, so we, we definitely I think the only reason Subsurface and Quarantine have kind of Done as comfortably as they have is because we had a reputation going in. If we were yeah. just you know people who never released a game before, th- no one would have played those games. It would have it would have they would have died in completely the same way as so many indie games do. Yeah. So it's tough. It's tough out there. We're, I'm really lucky about when Thomas Was Alone came out and how early I got to be a part of the, mm. the indie conversation. Definitely.
2: I think we can probably. I feel like we could probably just there. Cool. Because otherwise, there's anything else we're just going to go into like.
3: What else is on your list? Sue Perkins. We mentioned Sue Super. Perkins. She's awesome. Proper uh, gamer as
2: well. There was like Blitz versus the industry today. But that's such a, that's big, a big conversation. One. That's a
3: big one, and also to be honest, like I'm not sure how qualified I am to talk about like proper studios because I've not been in one for seven years. Or, well, no, God, yeah, seven years. Jesus.
2: It's not Six. long. It's not long. Seven years. It's in, <laughs> in video games, it's a century. <laughs> it's, but actually, we can talk about that very yeah. briefly. Like, I think people feel like the games industry is newer than it is, but people in games feel like it's been around longer than it has. Mm. Like, it's this weird thing that it, like, it's birth to now. It's gone through a lot of years of its life very quickly. Yeah. To become the biggest entertainment industry in the world Mm -hmm. yet at the same time to have all the other entertainment industries not accept it yeah it's bizarre to me but you become part of the reason it's become the biggest is because people have learned very uh, interesting ways of getting money out of people
3: Yeah, there's a lot of money's been spent on working out how to yeah. how to get money out of people, definitely.
2: But it's a weird, it's such a weird industry because like Darrow Brian talks about it on stage, um, how the games industry is the only entertainment product that bars you from learning the rest of the oh, story yeah, yeah. with your own skills. He's like
3: saying like a book with a quiz there every <laughs> chapter.
2: Exactly. It's like it has so many parallels to other industries, but it just has so many additional layers, like. Hmm. You know, I can't, can you imagine if you were like listening to Radiohead and then Tom York walks in and goes, <laughs> right, what was I, what was I talking about? What was about I was talking about?
3: What were the thematic <laughs> elements I yeah, was trying what, to convey there? Yeah.
2: It's like, it's so strange to me.
3: It is, it's a weird industry and it's one with a very short memory and, and I think the the big kind of invisible cause of a lot of these issues is that it's also... Um, there's a lot of burnout. There's a lot of people who leave the industry. If you if you walk into a pretty into a big I, studio... I suppose it's
2: an industry, though, that the, some of the skills you're learning are a, applicable to adjacent industries and stuff. And oh, yeah, no, Maybe they, those adjacent industries are a bit more they pay, stable. They're
3: often more stable. They often pay better. Um, also, your skill set might be very tied to the era of game development you're in. So, mm-hmm. like, an example of that is um, on Volume, our environment artist was someone who specifically had, like a lot of very good experience in PS2 era, making very low-poly art, because volume had a lot of that. Um, um, he was a teacher who just kind of came in, and we, we basically... I think we paid for a, a family vacation to Disney World, basically. I think he basically did, like, worked on the Sundays on our game, and, and, that, and that did that.
2: This might be apocryphal, but I think the creator of Final Fantasy called it Final Fantasy because... He thought it was going to be his last yeah. because the, the industry was moving away from, and him.
3: also, and fantasy and he felt fantasy was a genre that was dying, so he called it Final Fantasy because this was going to be the final. Oh fantasy wow! Game. I, didn't I, think I think extra I, I think it was part of that. Of like it was death. basically like it was just the end of like he thought it was the end of that era. Um, but yeah, so w- as an industry, we don't keep hold of people. Through to retirement, like a lot of other industries, you know, if you walk into a game studio, it's weird how young everyone is. It's mm. weird. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm. How old am I now? I keep forgetting. I'm 33, um, and I'm, I'm considered an older guy, <laughs> in like a mm-hmm. lot of circles. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest, looking around, I kind of am, and it's a it's a really weird situation. But you have all
2: that boyish charm. I know,
3: man, but that's going to fade. The grey hairs are coming through, so it's <laughs> it's only maritime. But the um but like there's a uh the grey hairs are mainly there because of our current redacted project. <laughs> um, but like there's there's a there's a um there's a lack of industry memory, and I think that means we often reinvent the wheel. It means we often don't know how far we've come in a lot of ways because everyone's frame of reference is just the last kind of couple of years of yeah. games. So you see a lot of repeated mistakes. You see a lot of, which is maybe a, in some weird way a good thing because it triggers lots and lots of innovative kind of work. But at the same time, it we definitely uh, could stand to keep people around longer because there's a lot of wisdom that just disappears. Mm. Or, like you say, goes elsewhere where the pays better or things are more stable or there's not as much nonsense going on. Um, so it's a that's a tricky one but we've not we've not solved that yet whereas mm. an industry where it is an industry of young people and yeah. I think that's I think that causes a lot of the speed but I think also causes a lot of issues because we don't mature and, and I, <laughs> it's something I've said a lot is I really want games to mature at the same speed I do because I really want to have games for me when I'm in my 60s I, yeah. I want to be playing video games in you know in that well I guess retirement home 70s 80s I want to be sat there Playing video games, which means the things I need are games to have like people making games for older people. Yeah, and I need really good accessibility stuff because my hands are going to be gone, my Mm -hmm. hearing's going to be gone, my sight's going to be crap. I want, I want us to also move in that direction. Selfishly, I want all of this stuff ready for my retirement, basically. Um, And I think there's, there is, there is as an industry, we need to get better at all of that stuff. But we also need to get better at at keeping around people who can have those kind of insights. Yeah. Because as an industry, we only acknowledge that colorblindness was a real issue we needed to think about about four years ago. I,
2: it, it never crossed my mind until I was watching an Australian Twitch streamer called Excessive Profanity. And it, by his name, he can be loud and sweary. Like, yeah. And like, he's playing a game and it has no colorblind settings and yeah, he's colorblind. So he's just shouting at the game, well,
3: how am I meant to know? Yeah, Like, I cannot tell the... But we only as an industry started, like, considering that something we should probably put in as a default a few years ago. Mm. And even then you see, I think, was it Doom? One of the big AAA games put in a colorblind mode that was not a colorblind mode. It simply put a filter to simulate colorblind. So if you put in saying, I'm colorblind in this specific way, it wouldn't change the colors to make it easier for you to see. It would just make the game shift to a version of the game that looked like how you saw things. Okay. It was like what clearly what that was was that colorblind thing was done. It was like a test. It was like yeah, a test yeah. tool to go. Okay, how's our game look to these people? Oh, we need to fix this and this. But they shipped that as the game <gasps> mode. By mistake, I can't remember which AAA game it was. I See, if it feel was, like it was. A, I feel like it was a Bethesda one. It might have been. Fallout was, or Doom. If something. it
2: was Doom, I that would be a pain in the ass because Doom uses this a tiny the simplest mechanic in the world. Doom twenty sixteen. We're mm. talking about um, of. If you're not sure where you're going, look for a green light. Yeah. So when you've got like a, obviously you look, you're looking ahead of you, but say you've got to jump and climb up mm-hmm. or like a silo or something. Which is the hardest
3: thing in the world to get a player to do is look up.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. But there's a green light there. There's a green light telling you oh, to. Oh, yeah. and then you look around. Oh, there's another green light there. It's one of those things. It really, I really enjoyed Doom mm-hmm. 2016. Uh, it was so it's so good. Just, it's just fun mm-hmm. and the. It felt so fluid and mm-hmm. all that. And it... I don't know. It, there's something about... I'm really comfortable punching an alien to death. But I don't really want to punch other humans to death. Especially in that close proximity, yeah, 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 first-person yeah. view. I'm fine with an Assassin's Creed, you know. Sure. Especially if the body mysteriously vanishes after yeah. you kill it, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, that just like... I'm playing it and I'm like... Oh, isn't that weird? Every time it's where I want to go, it's a green light. Without thinking... Someone chose to bring that yeah, yeah. there to tell me where to go. They just found this
3: space base where everything was in the right place. Oh, it's it's great. Weird. That's just that. that well, is, you can really train. You can train players to like even subconsciously just start doing that. Well, you talk
2: about this in uh, Thomas was alone commentary. Oh, do but, I? Okay. So if you. Played Thomas was play landing commentary because I did it. So I... it literally, I think, in the first minute of that commentary. So if yeah. anyone wants to do that, just we don't have to listen to it at all. No, uh, but don't yeah, how, how you me. can teach someone to jump a gap and then teach them to jump a longer oh, gap yeah. without ever telling them you just have to hold the button. That I remember
3: because I I think that one we had to re-record that bit of the commentary because I wouldn't shut. I would kept going on about Mario because Mario is like the classic mm-hmm. example everyone uses. Mario one one is does a really good job of teaching you everything about the game really organically and cleverly. Um, and I think I talked about that on the commentary and just, you know, the guy in the booth, I- Hi Mike, yeah, that's uh you're gonna have to do that again, but I please mean, don't yeah. mention Nintendo Punch at it. all. Thank oh you. really? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, it was for I think it was done originally, I think that commentary was exclusive to Sony platforms. Yeah, because
2: I, I played it first on, on Yeah, I think
3: we put it on it some other things. It. I still don't, I don't think it's I think it's still not on PC, but it's it was initially just an exclusive for Sony, so you know the the, the Sony suit in the office was please can you uh, um, stop mentioning yes. the R competitors? Just, yeah. uh, talk about Crash Bandicoot a bit by all means, but <laughs> don't uh, <laughs> <laughs> keep keep that off the, off the table uh,
2: Naughty Dog whatever happened to them whatever happened Nothing to Naughty Dog Crash Bandicoot, I, got, huh? I got
3: to visit their office a few months ago and it's the most amazing looking space to work really? So well because they have infinite money right mm. <laughs> and they use that infinite money to make just this really great collaborative space and yeah. it's just like you look around and are just like I I I definitely am never going to be able to build something like this. They this seem is like a,
2: a good company. So they, I they're really lovely the people. Yeah, it's really. I, I think that weird bit of human jealousy about money. <laughs> like, I hate the fact that Donald Trump has any money at all. Mm. Yet someone like uh, it does good. It's like, no, yeah, yeah, I, yeah.
3: I, yeah. I, I, can you? Can we give them any more money? Well, know? that's it. But I'm they fine. they also they say they spend all of that money. Making new cool things that push mm. the industry forward, yeah. which hopefully make them lots more money. I'm sure that's the business model. I'm sure that you know, but they're trying to they're trying to make good stuff, and that's yeah, it's admirable. But their their whole setup there, the way they they'll put like their lighting experts in like in like a little cubicle next to the level designers with like a corridor that forces them to keep walking past, past each other, other. So they keep, which is very um. Steve Jobs did that. Like Steve yeah. Jobs was big on like. Accida- making sure that people kept having accidental conversations.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. Mm. Again, it comes back to always having a bin in the right place. It's Walt
3: Disney. It's it's these it's all basically all genius those, capitalists with questionable all those private lives, lives and motion studies yeah. that
2: went on in the 70s are finally coming finally, to fruition Finally, now.
3: it's all all of that creepiness is coming to a head. <laughs> <laughs> it's great.
2: That's it. That's all we have to do. We don't need to plug anything. Is there anything you'd want to plug?
3: Not. Right right now I'm in like stealth mode. Just trying to get the thing done, yeah. So... Good, right. Yeah. Nothing to plug, which is always fun. I like those.
2: Bye. I hope you train journey with you. So there it is. Episode one, done. Mike Bithell. What a nice human being. I genuinely like Mike. Not because he's previously paid me to make soundtracks. Like, giving me money is not a prerequisite of me liking you. Although, patreon.com forward slash Dan Lassac and you'll find out just how much I like you. Um, Dan, that was the worst segue. You're a bad person. Anyway, hit the subscribe button. Next week, our guest makes electronic music. She's a delightful delightful person and you get to see the wonders of what it sounds like when you record a podcast in what sounds like a swimming pool which is uh which is nice look forward to that I promise I promise I'll get better at recording these anyway go out spread the good word on my behalf um I'm not begging but I'm also not too proud to beg thanks for listening